prior to me getting fired in March of 2012, I started a blog. So my clients came to me. I was, like I said, I was a mediocre hairstylist, but I would give them advice. And they loved my advice. So they would call me like their therapist. One of my clients was moving to Las Vegas. And she was like, I'm going to miss our talks. Like, I wish you started a blog. And I'm like, well, what's a blog? Mm -hmm. So that night, I went home and Googled blog, and I immediately created one. Because it was like an online yeah. magazine and I always wanted my own magazine so I created my blog it was com, and I would give out love advice dating advice fashion advice and motivational advice mm -hmm. and from there I would like diff highlight different people on Instagram Were you making money at all from the no, blog? No no I no I wasn't making money because I didn't even know that it could turn into money Right. but I would highlight different people on Instagram and like uh, steal her swag so I would like post a picture and like say where they get the outfit from and you mm -hmm. can find out on my website so on my website, I had gained over 100,000 views in three months. Mm. And once I gained those views, my mind was like, okay, now I can sell them a product. And from there, I created Milano de Rouge. So once I got fired, and that was like the same time frame. Once I got fired, it was like, okay, now it's time to really create it. Like now it's time to like go all in and like, all right, yep. what do you want to do? And I didn't really have like much experience with Photoshop or anything. Yeah. I remember going to this website. I forget the name. Start with a C. It allows you to like to mock up a shirt. Canva? No, not Canva. I forget the name of it. It's like a little, I forget the name, but it allows you to like mock up a shirt mm -hmm. and create your logo. And I was just playing with things and I. You just started. So you had two brands. I mean, two shirts mm -hmm. at that time. Right? I, I designed two shirts. Right. Yeah. And that was my five city shirt. So the five cities, it was like the cross. It was a red cross. And then it had London, Tokyo, Paris, Milan, and New York. So it was like the five fashion cities of the world. Mm. That's why I came up with that. That still sell? We, 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 we stopped selling it. Did you sell a lot, though? I did. It was like one of our popular styles. I had it for years. I, kinda, I think I stopped selling it like in 2018. So your first shirt from 2012 to 2018, it was still selling. You were making money off of that. Yeah, and the off other the shirt, idea yeah. that you mocked up on a website. Yes, in the Milano de Rouge signature shirt. That's our first shirt too. That's that's one of our number one seller. You know, black culture contributes so much to social media and the creativity of social media. So I want to start with Black Planet. Mm -hmm. Black Planet was really the first social network, and if you think about it, if you look that's at the old, if you look at the old UX UI of Black Planet, it's very similar to what MySpace built. Hold on, how old are you? You don't know what Black Planet is, do you? I yeah. know, it's crazy. You it, was found, it was found it. in like 2000, 2001. <laughs> Omar was Sal. Omar was Sal and this other dude, they founded it. But if you look at the UX UI, Black Planet, MySpace. UX UI, what's that mean? User experience, user interface. Yep. So it looks very similar to the way that MySpace looked. And MySpace came around in like 2004 or 2005. Gotcha. So, they, so we were always the inspiration for platforms like that. MySpace died out. Um, and then people migrated to Facebook, and then why did MySpace style? Do you do you know? I think or do you have any I, theories? I, I mean, I, I think probably just because they sold it. I think it was a cash out, like he cashed out, and he was no longer running the platform. And those platforms, Facebook and MySpace, were pre-mobile. Instagram was the first mobile first application. It started. Oh, no, Twitter? No, Twitter was desktop first. Oh, so you're saying like they built it for that particular for for the, for the mobile device? Gotcha. Instagram gotcha. was the first, yeah, to build it for a mobile device. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So okay, so Black Planet, MySpace, MySpace sees Black Planet and creates something just like it, more money, yeah, and white, yeah, yeah. 
Is there an and, cent- and centered around, and, 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 but it was also the freedom to to change your profile and be expressive and creative. Yeah. I can move my top eight around. I can put yeah. a clock on there, a song. It just gave the freedom of of creativity, and people really like that. Right after MySpace was what Facebook, Facebook, yeah. MySpace was before Facebook, yeah, because it was around that same time. But Facebook started for colleges. Yep. Right. Were you on Facebook early on? No. How old are you? I'm 47. You weren't on Facebook? Oh, because you probably weren't in college. I didn't go to college. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. And then people transitioned to what? Twitter. Twitter. Where was Snapchat in this? After Twitter. Snapchat was after Instagram. Was it? Yeah, Snapchat was like- What was the one before Snapchat that was like Snapchat? It was something. No, maybe Vine, but- Vine, but Vine was right above. But but you know, it's so funny. There were a lot of social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Now, the one thing I can the difference between I'll say this: when it comes to adoption, like I'll be the first person to tell you that I hated on every social media platform that ever came out until I got the aha moment, and then I realized what the big play was. Right, I hated on every single one. Mm-hmm. I got on MySpace. I was like, this is stupid. So I've seen my homeboys huddled around a desktop like you can have friends, <laughs> girls on here. And I'm like, yeah. word. Right. <laughs> and then Twitter, Twitter was like, I got on Twitter. My former publicist, God rest her soul. She said, you need to get on this platform called Twitter. It was like 2007. And I got on there. Nobody was there. It was empty. Really? Nobody was on. Nobody. I would tweet and I would get no response. Right. Nothing would happen. I said, this is stupid. Right. And then. Michael Jackson died in 2009 and everybody was talking about it on Twitter. And I said, Oh, this is going to be the news before the news. So if someone gets to shooting, the people that are there will let people know what's going on via Twitter before the news can even get there. So it's instant news. Twitter, by the way, I think is the only immortal social network. I think it's, I think it's going to, I think it'll never go away Mm. because Twitter's defined. All the other social networks are defined by the generation that use them. Twitter's defined by what's happening right now. Who won the game? What's Elon Musk doing? You know, who got in trouble with who? What what is China doing? It's right now. Instagram's the same way. No. Instagram has it. No, Instagram has a has an audience. Has a is a usually it's not defined by what's now, it's defined by the generation that make it relevant. Instagram's irrelevant right now. TikTok is more relevant than Instagram. So when I say make more offers, it means literally to make more of one offer or more of the four different kinds of offers. And then if you have like multiple offers in each one of those four kinds, that's okay. There's there are four, four types of offers. Okay. Talk to me. There's lead generation offers. Mm-hmm. That's just, you make an offer to somebody, they give you their information in exchange for some of your valuable content that you could sell to them, but instead you give it to them for in exchange for their name and phone number and email address. No money. No money. So okay. that's called a lead generation offer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you have a core product offer. That's like the main thing that you sell. For instance, like for me, my core product offer is a VIP ticket to the Make More Offers Challenge. That's a core product for us. Core product is the Make More Offers Challenge, challenge ticket. Yes. Ticket. The, the challenge ticket for the VIP. That's a core product. The, the, the general admission ticket is kind of a down sell um, for people who want to come, but they feel like they're not worth investing $297. So, and I, I know that sounds kind of a funny way to say it, but... They don't believe that we've been programmed to believe that everything's valuable but us. And so that's mm. what I mean when I say that. I'm not condescending when I say people don't think they're worth it, but they literally don't think they're worth it. They have more money put in their 
in their shoe closet, in their wardrobe, in their cars, in the rims on their cars than they put in their brain. And mm. so they don't think they're worth investing $297. So we have a downsell so they can still get the information, but it's not as, that, that experience is not as intimate. So that's gotcha. our core product. And then you have PVOs, which are premium value offers, which is the Offer Mastery Coaching, Offer Mastery Bootcamp, and the King Solomon's Wisdom Inner Circle, and the King Solomon's Royal Family. Those are premium value offers. And then we have, we have continuity offers. A continuity offer is when you sell something once, they pay for it over and over, like our Bible Success Academy, mm-hmm. $27.99 a month. Gotcha. So for somebody that's just, how do you know what offer to pick, though? So well, for it depends on where you are. Depends on where you are in like the entrepreneurial game. Like some people like decide one day they wake up, I hate my job, I want to be an entrepreneur. Well, where do you start, right? Yeah. Right. You have to figure out what you have that offers value to people and you create an offer around that thing. So that person might start with a core product offer. But you, you've got your morning meetup already. You already had that. You already had, well, is that the only product you sold? Well, no. Then you T-shirts. T-shirts. Right. And I, do, ads. I do workshops for like 10 bucks. Workshops for 10 bucks. Can I buy one? I got 10 bucks. <laughs> well, not anymore since I've been in the inner circle. Oh, okay, but, uh, okay. only, and only because, only because um, you help me realize that that doesn't really serve anybody. Right. Like if somebody pays $10 to come to something or even $20, 30 to, to leave out of your house, $20. Some people, you'll see people buy it and they don't even come or... Right. They come, say this good information, then they leave, but they don't have any transformation. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that's why, like, so where you were when you came into our inner circle, you had, you had a continuity offer. Yeah. You had a core product offer, you know, interview on your podcast or whatever, or maybe sell some ads or maybe your $10, I forgot what you call it. Don't say it like that because I like It's so important that black voices are represented in black media for so many different reasons. And the next generation of black uh, voices and influencers from black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collections, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. And every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Smyrta to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. I listen and I'm enjoying these conversations that are for us, by us. Black representation, again, it hasn't always been uh, shared from our perspective. And black perspectives haven't been censored in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR. Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen to the Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get podcasts. 
All right, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you can keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headache, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. It just makes sense. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit from NetSuite? I know you see it. Listen to me. If you have everything scattered in business, you cannot grow. And everything is more expensive when you have more and more processes layered on top of each other, more and more softwares. You got to get out of that. And it, it will improve efficiency and cut costs. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com slash social proof. That's NetSuite.com slash social proof. NetSuite.com slash social proof. I said whatever you call it. I don't know what you call it, bro. Wow. Okay, but anyway, so... So that, or you already had all that stuff. So the thing that you were lacking as an entrepreneur, you were lacking a PVO. You didn't have a premium value offer, mm. right? So I gave you the opportunity, the privilege to pay me a lot of money for my premium value offer. Mm. So then you knew that people would pay for a premium value offer because you just did it. That's a fact. That's a fact. Let me tell you something. Can I be tell honest? Me, please. I'm no, lie to going, me, bro. Lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, this is a true story. I'm going to make a... Pitch on my premium value offer. Sure. I just I just realized it was called that. Mm-hmm. But I talked to somebody and mm-hmm. it made a lot of sense. It seemed to make a lot of sense. It seemed to make a lot of sense. <laughs> but he was telling me like, yo, man, um, you know, you get these coaches and they're off, you know, there's like these high ticket coaches and you, you could simply become one of these people that people look at as the person who's always looking to make a sale and asking for a whole lot of money. And even if you're not like getting over on people, you're going to be grouped in the group of people that's the scam. And, and you're using like psychology to make sales for people. And I don't feel that that's right. This is a conversation that I'm having right before I want a bunch of interesting stuff in that. It's all true. So, I know, but it's, and, it's, yeah, we'll, we'll break it down. Yeah. But in like this is the day I'm about to make, make my offer. offer, and I go on there and I'm I'm feeling away, and I'm like, dang, I don't want to be the person that's always selling something to somebody. So I do make the offer, but the way I did it was like, hey, I got this offer. You could do it if you want to, but you don't have to. Okay, I'm not pressuring you, but this is what we offer. But you don't have to do it. Okay, I just want you to know that I'm not pressuring you, and. One, that taught me just, I'm not talking to anybody pitch day, ever. Like, not even You might brother. want to have a conversation with me for pitch day. So I'm not going to tell you anything that that's crazy. That's a fact. So, okay, <laughs> so break down what was going on. Because it really, it really affected me, and I felt so, the word. So people make the mistake 
of thinking that making something easier for somebody actually helps them. What, where in life does that ever show to be, like prove to be true? Where? Like you go into the military. Can you imagine drill instructor saying, well, we were going to make y'all shoot guns, but that's not going to be fun. So we're going to just play marbles. <laughs> that doesn't prepare anybody for battle. Right. And so what happens is we think that making it easier for somebody makes it better for them just because it makes them more comfortable now. But there is a principle called the easy, hard principle. You know about the easy, hard principle, right? Kind of. Easy on the front ends, hard on the back yes. end. Hard on the front ends, easy on the back end. Life, people, have, people have built big businesses with sure they lower have. ticket, easy to. Sure they have. But it doesn't help the buyer much. Yeah, it, kind of. Well, it, it, depends. it depends on what the thing is. Yeah. It depends on what the thing is. It's a very nice watch, by the way. Thanks. Does it keep good time? Not really. <laughs> not really. Not really. <laughs> not, but it looks really. like, it's probably not really, but it looks like a Rolex. It is. They probably sell watches cheaper than that. Yeah, join inner circle. You so, know what I mean? so why did you buy a Rolex? <laughs> I did this <laughs> offer. You know what I mean? so, the real reason though, is because you believed you were worth it. See, what people have to start doing, they put value on everything outside themselves and value on nothing inside themselves. When the greatest value that they have is all internal. It's not the stuff that you have, it's the person that you are. Mm. Right. So this person who made you believe right before you made your all these people start selling these high ticket offers, then people are going to think, well, what people? The people who want to stay stuck like Chuck in a pickup truck are going to think you're one of those people who only wants to sell high ticket offers. So you can make a lot of money. Well, the people who shop at Walmart, I, I'm not I'm figuratively speaking. Yeah. They might think that about you, but there's people who shop at Neiman Marcus aren't going to think anything about it. Hmm. Neiman Marcus does not attempt to attract Walmart buyers and Walmart doesn't attract, attempt to attract Neiman Marcus buyers. You just have to figure out what kind of business you want to have. Yeah. Right? You want to like serve the best clients, the best offers, and people who are going to actually do something with it because according to the scriptures, what? The heart follows the pocketbook, right? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Mm-hmm. A lot of people sell stuff to people. They'll sell them something really, really cheap to make it easy for them, but their pocketbook ain't it, so their heart ain't it. Mm. Yeah. That's real. That's real. So as an entrepreneur, you get this idea. Mm -hmm. I'm going to create my own social media platform. Yeah. Who's the first person on there? Well, first, I never built an app before. Let's talk about that. (laughs) I'm a a songwriter, producer by trade. I've been producing and writing music and in the music industry. And um, I talked to some friends of mine that I met at the gathering spot in Atlanta. Um, Justin Dawkins, Barry Gibbons, and Jewel Burks. They were like my tech sensei. Yeah. Right? I call them my tech sensei. Did they build fan base? No. They gave me, I went to them and said, how do you build an app? And they yeah. were like, you need this, you need this, you need this person, you have to have that and do that. And and they said, you need some money, right? And so being a person in music, fortunately enough for me, I had kind of pivoted out of just producing for regular people and started putting my music on TV and film. Mm-hmm. Um, I could advance myself royalty. So I advanced myself like $200,000 and spent that money to build the MVP of family. Hold on. I don't understand. Yeah. Explain that. What do you mean? You started advancing yourself royalties. What the heck? I don't understand. So, so instead of producing for artists, right, and getting yeah. on albums, yeah. I took all my instrumentals and gave them to a company, and they put them in reality shows and TV shows. So Real Housewives, Love and Hip Hop, Married to Medicine, Guy Code, E! News, TNT. Every time you're watching those shows in the background, those transitions – those are like, a lot of that is my music. It's been my music for like seven or eight, nine years. Right? Really? Yeah, and you get paid every time they play it. So 
you just go to the mailbox and get a check, you know. So I might go to the mailbox and get a check for like twenty five thousand dollars for a quarter, you know, make you know stuff like that. So I say, I'll advance myself the money and just take a gamble, and that's usually what you call a friends and family round, where you get that first initial like pre seed capital to build your prototype. I said I can bypass that and not give up equity in the company and just foot the bill myself. And I'm a risk taker. I don't, you know. Gotcha. So just in the just, I'm sorry, just case because I, I I can make beats a little bit, so I can take some money. <laughs> You like you if you if you have revenue coming in, you can say, "All right, give me two hundred thousand dollars against my future earnings." Right, and they'll give it to you at yeah. a at a cost. I would no. imagine with BMI, no, it's just it's just they just give it to you. Oh, that's lit. Yeah. Okay. All right, that's dope. So you was two hundred thousand the number? Yeah. Well, I did a hundred. I did a hundred. I think I done a hundred one time, and then I went and got another hundred. So two hundred thousand dollars to build the app. Yeah. What was the first step you took? Like what? What was the first dollar that you had to pay to build a gap? So, well, first thing I did was the name fan base. I trademarked it. Mm-hmm. I hadn't. I didn't have anybody to build it. I said, let me see if I can trademark the name fan base specifically for a downloadable social media software in the form of subscription, mm-hmm. and it was available. And I trademarked it. Okay. Um, then that same attorney, my attorney, a good friend of mine, Drew. We we've been working together for about eighteen years in music. He's like. And this is this is a this is a, a very a, a significant part about the story because Fanbase is a black founded social media startup, and what I'm about to say is not to throw anybody under the bus, but initially I wanted my goal was to like I want black developers. Mm-hmm. I want to find I had like I had a black I had a black mentor that was helping me, and in the process that person kind of just disappeared, mm-hmm. and then the first guy that I went to that was a black developer was like ah oh, he's a little too busy to build it. And the second guys didn't have their stuff together. So my attorney Drew's like, I know this Argentinian guy mm. who built a really cool website for me. And he has a company and they built stuff for like the CDC and Taco Bell. He has a development company. You need to meet him. And he lives in Atlanta, mm. but the team is in Argentina. So it'll cost way less. Like if you're trying to build what you're trying to build, it'll probably cost you $600,000. You can probably get it done for 125, 130. Mm. And me and Ramiro met and it was magic. It was like, boom, like, when I'm talking about ready to go, it was like instantly chemistry, communication. It was like perfect. So I paid initially um, that company to develop fan base. Gotcha. Along the way, um, Ramiro and his business partners have been in business for about 10 or 12 years. And they approached me and they said, hey, we want to invest in fan base. Like this is the first thing we built that we feel like we ain't never heard nothing like this. This can yeah. go somewhere. And by talking to Jewel, and, and Barry and Justin, you have to have a CTO. And people don't know that's a chief technology officer. So you have to have someone that can build what you say you want to build. So as much as I, much as I have a vision, someone has to execute that vision. There's a good book called Rocket Fuel that you should read. Um, mm-hmm. Andre 3000 told me to read it. But it talks about um, visionaries and integrators. And so I'm a visionary. I play that role. It's big mm-hmm. ideas, close the deals. I'm that guy. But you have to have people to integrate. Yeah. And Ramiro is an integrator. So they take all the stuff that I say on you know, my vision and right. make the buttons do what they're supposed to do masterfully. Um, Let me ask this question. Yeah. Why was your first thought, I want the whole team to be black? Because there is a disproportionate relationship between black culture and technology. Mm-hmm. When I was reading the amount of money that that companies like Facebook were making in ad revenue, mm-hmm. $113 billion a year, you know. <sighs> you know, $90 billion a year. Right. And my point is, is like, has anybody ever thought the, the, the vehicle is Facebook. The vehicle is Instagram. The gasoline is youth and black culture. Has anybody ever stopped and said, Hey, 
like, let's take $6 billion and put it in the hood. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, let's put it in Chicago. Let's put, <laughs> let's put it in Baltimore. You know what I'm saying? Really, let's create, like, creator centers and teach kids how to yeah. code and do all this, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no. Nah. And so the, 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 the gift and the curse of being black is we are the apex of innovation. There's nothing cooler than a black person on the planet. I'm not, <laughs> you can't, I'm telling you, it's like. Nothing cooler than a black person. That's a fact. It's nothing cooler than <laughs> black people. Like it's 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 impossible to market and promote anything as being cool without the assistance of black people. It can be sentimental, romantic, adventurous, exciting, cool. You need our dances. You need our slang. You need our fashion. You need something from us that says, yeah, that's what's next and that's what's cool. And that is mined and siphoned through advertising and through companies. That is the vibranium. It's like It's like the way that, when I say a car doesn't run without gasoline, right? Mm-hmm. Social media doesn't run without the petroleum of black culture. Mm-hmm. And we give it away for free. We just let it flow. And what happens is it it is it is mined and used and then monetized, but not nobody in the hood gets it. Yeah. So the little girl that creates the Savage Challenge, they don't she doesn't want it with the brand deal, mm-hmm. winds up being Charlie D'Amelio or Addison Ray or like that. They just take it and pump it up and let them let them be rich. But they want you to keep continuing to do that. And that is what, what I what I say is we have to turn our innovations into acquisitions. Right. Mm. We innovate at a speed and a pace that we don't we understand. We're creating industries. I got a chance to to virtually meet Grandmaster Flash about six months ago. And I use this all the time. And I talk to people. I said the moment that you DJ on two turntables and a mixer. Someone should have pulled you to the side and said, do not show an MF of what you just showed me. Mm. Let's go figure out how to build turntables and mixers. Because everybody that does this is going to need that. Wow. Fast forward, Pioneer, Techniques, Serato, they own the multi-billion dollar DJ culture. They own it. We should be, everybody should be DJing on the Flash 5000 right now. He yeah. should be sitting up in some mansion worth about $20 billion because he innovated something, but... You don't make it an acquisition. We do that with cars. I actually saw uh, somebody made a joke. Somebody made a joke about the Rolls Royce star ceiling. It's like, you can have the Rolls Royce star ceilings. I was like, yo, we was doing that at Impalas. Like <laughs> ah, in the fact. 90s. Like, dog, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so we innovate. We innovate everything. It's like, we, like all the luxury cars are what we were doing in the hood. Yeah. My dad had a TV refrigerator and a car and a Cadillac in the 70s. Every car has that. Now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. That's just what we do. We just do flash. Put me yeah. on the floor, just stupid. But <laughs> give me the edited version, please. You know oh, sorry, just stupid <laughs> stuff. So you know, we just we just do wild, flamboyant stuff. Yeah. And then, but but that is cool. Yeah. And people want those things. And so, um, as a development team, I was like, we need to own it because a lot of times we have these, you know, these 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 things that we build that we sell. Like prime example, and I and I use this. This is a very very great thing that's happened with QC selling, right? Mm-hmm. They sold their label for like $250 million, yeah. right? But I, I also, we also have to sometimes shoot a little higher to be like Tyler Perry, to mm-hmm. own everything. You know, there's a difference between, I think- So are you saying they shouldn't have sold? Um, no, because the reason why I say that, that, that they shouldn't have sold because they can still take that revenue and do other things with it. Like everybody that's selling their catalog, they can do. It's a business. Businesses are built to be sold. Everyone will. But- I'm the kind of person that wants to take that chance to own the entire infrastructure. People look at Tyler Perry like, okay, it's like this. When when most black filmmakers in Hollywood want to go make a movie, 
They have to walk around to a bunch of production companies and say, can I have money to make my movie? Can I have money to make my movie? Can I have money to make my movie? Tyler Perry goes in his back pocket. He writes a check for his movie, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then he goes to his studio and films the whole project on the studio. And then he puts it out on the streaming service because he owns half of BET Plus and gets $100 million a year from that deal. Does he own half of BET Plus? It's a, it's a, well, he gets $100 million a, deal, $100 million a year off that deal. <sighs> yeah. On BET Plus. Tyler and the he, Perry. And Golly. he licenses his content. So he took his content from TBS to Lionsgate to own and now to BET. He just moves it around. He never sold it. He licensed it. Mm. And so people look at Tyler Perry like, well, how, where do we exploit him at? How do we, where do we get in? Where do we make money? He, he owns it from, you know, inception to distribution. And they can't get in. And they can't get in. And we have to do that with social media. But I need to know how you sold it, though, because it's not... Everybody has, they'll come up with an idea. Like, I'm going to come up with a shirt, right? And if nobody sees it, then nobody's going to buy it. Or, like, I, I don't know. How, like, how did people just start buying it? So I remember, so the night that I wore it, I was at a party. I, I wasn't even trying to go to the party, to mm. be honest. Because I would have never just wore a sweatshirt and jeans to a party. My hair wasn't done. I'm going to show you the photo, too. I have my hair. Let me gray. see the photo. I got to find it. Let me oh. see. Oh, wait, it's in the other bag. I got to find it. I had on a... Oh, yeah, I got to pull it up. It'll be good for you to see. But I had on the gray sweatshirt. I wasn't going to a party. Like, mm-hmm. everyone else was dressed, and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to come and swag it. I don't care. Um, and one of the guys from my city, he was like, yo, I like your shirt. Because when I first did it, it said Milano, Italy. It didn't say Milano, Di mm-hmm. He was like, yo, I like your shirt. I'm like, oh, you like it? So the fact that the first day I wore it, somebody liked it, I was happy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all right, this is mine. I made this. <laughs> and then the next day I'll post on Instagram my shirt. And then I was like, who wants to buy the other one, basically? Right. So I wore one the and I sold one. it. Because I only made, I only bought two. Oh, you're, okay. Here's the, I'm thinking you were saying you had two designs. You're saying you had two shirts. Two shirts. I wore a sweatshirt and sold the other sweatshirt. <laughs> and then I took that and I flipped that and I bought five. Yeah. No way. Yes. So first of all, so how much how much did it cost you to print the shirts? It was like so what I was doing was I was going to a retail place. So it was like $25 to get the sweatshirt and the, the print all together. So, so you're just finding a shirt like this in a store. You what like heat press or No, what? so the place that I went to, they sold shirts, they mm-hmm. sold blanks. And they will print it on there. So I would go gotcha. there and like pick out my stuff. I was so happy to find it too. Um, <laughs> I went there and like pick out the color that I wanted and I put the logo. On. They put the logo on it and they gave it to me. $25. $25. So that was a lot of money for it. Yeah. That. How much you selling for? I started off at 40 So people would be like, why would 45 People was like, why is your shirt $45? Everyone else selling shirts is $25. i am like, okay, they're not Milano. But it was, really because, off, so. it was really because, and it was really because, right? And it was because though I was playing retail price. Mm-hmm. So like, I remember when I was starting to, I would ask like the different people. It was a lot of guys in our city selling t-shirts at the time, and I would ask them like, "Hey, I want to start a t-shirt brand. Where do I get shirts from?" No one told me. And then a one person that did tell me, he told me to go to this retail place. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea about wholesale. I had mm-hmm. no idea that I was paying like top dollar for this stuff, and people was. Uh, getting it for like literally a fraction of the cost because you can get a shirt and and print it up for like seven ninety nine and I'm paying twenty five dollars yeah. for it and I did that for like probably like five months. No way. Yeah. Paying the retail price and that's why you gotta make it a premium price because you paying twenty five dollars. Yes. And then I remember it was a black guy inside of the store and he, the store that I was going to it was like a, um it was Asian owned but it was a black guy inside of the store he was like. 
hey, I just want to tell you that, like, I see you in here a lot. He was like, you do know you can get this for a fraction of the price from a wholesale. Like, mm. you got to go to, like, an actual manufacturer. So he gave me an Alfred Embroider book. I don't know if y'all know that. Alfred Alfred He gave Broder. me that, yeah. Yep. He gave me that book. And at the time, it was called Bodak and Roots. Yep. But he gave me that book, and he was like, everything you want in here, you want to get it for a fraction of the cost. And then he gave me a card to some guys that print it. And the first day I wow. went to the guys that print, I ran into the guy that sent me to the other place. I'm like, oh, hi. So it was a... It was Shout a, out to us looking out for us. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Taking, away, taking money away from the man. Well, Asian, I don't know. <laughs> but that was good. That was cool though. That was what's up. <laughs> the guy That's that crazy. I ran, the guy that initially sent me to the retail space, I ran into him when I went to the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, he's like, what's up? I'm like, like, so my face was like, like I filmed it. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't mad. You know why? Because I felt like like he worked hard to find his manufacturer. Yeah. He don't have to give me that. 100%. And it just taught me that if I wanted something bad enough, the answer isn't as hard to find as I thought. Mm. And that's how I looked at everything. Like, if you truly want it, you're going to go for it. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I met you. Like, so, like, now it's like, I like, yeah, I appreciate it so much more. You said something the other day that really clicked. Okay. It was the um, the philosophy of be, do, and then have. Yeah. So, I'm thinking about it. And, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I coach people and um, I have clients in your premises, I got to get people to believe that they are something more than themselves or to be something else, not just tell them what to do. Yeah. Most coaching programs are, I won't say most because I don't, I have not counted. So many coaching programs, <laughs> right? Many coaching programs only help people realize what they can't do. They don't, they don't help people become the person who can do the thing. So many coaching programs. What's up, podcaster or soon-to-be podcaster? Get ready to level up your podcast game because the number one podcast education summit of the year is back, and it's bigger and better than ever. I'm talking about the second annual podcast summit happening on July 4th and 5th in the content creation capital of the world. You already know, ATL, baby. Atlanta, Georgia, going down July 4th and 5th, two full days. Imagine this. Imagine you getting all the game you need to take your voice, your brand, your business to the next level. Imagine getting all the insider tips. Imagine getting all the know-how that you've been craving for the last two, three, four years where you're talking about you're going to start a podcast, but you haven't yet because you don't have the tools, you don't have the tips, you don't have the tricks. I don't care if you're just starting or you're a seasoned pro. This summit has something for everyone. Picture you mastering the basics of setting up your podcast or unlocking the secrets to grow your brand on social media. We're not just talking about podcasting here. I'm talking about you want to build a long form catalog, whether it's skits, movies. We got people talking about script writing. This is an incredible experience. Imagine, imagine discovering the art of securing these lucrative sponsorship deals. And that's not all. Learn the ropes of creating a pitch deck that has sponsors knocking down your door. But wait, 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 wait. There's more. This isn't just a summit. This is an experience. I'm telling you. Rub shoulders with industry leaders. And you got to network with other people that are doing what you're doing. All the guests that have ever been on Social Proof Podcast, I'm giving them a free ticket. And in exchange, they promise me that they're going to sit down and do short interviews with you. We got podcast booths for our VIP members where you can sit down, pull somebody to a side, and you're going to create content in real time. I know what you're thinking. 
How do I get a part of this podcasting paradise? Well, it's simple. All you have to do is head over to podcastsummit.com, grab your tickets now, but hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, because I have something really, really special for you. I got a little treat for my early birds, people who take action. The next 20 listeners and only 20 listeners who get your tickets right now, okay? I'm not only going to give you 20% off of whatever ticket level you get, you get 20% off, but if you use the promo code Big Deal. It'll take 20% off immediately, but I'm also going to allow the first 20 people to listening to this right now to be able to bring a friend, bring a teammate, bring a partner for absolutely free. You get general admission, they get general admission. You get VIP, they get VIP. Whatever ticket level you purchase, you get to bring a friend, partner, colleague, boo thing for absolutely free. Nothing extra required. My team's going to reach out to you, get your partner's name, or if you don't have the person you... No, right now, yet, you got time, no pressure, you get us back. But use that code big deal. That triggers to let us know you get to bring someone for free. So don't wait. So secure your spot at the number one podcast education summit in the country. Join us July 4th and 5th in Atlanta. Let's turn your podcast dreams into a reality, y'all. Head over to podcastsummit.com. Use promo code big deal at checkout and get your tickets now don't miss out on the opportunity to take your podcast to new heights take your brand to new heights take your business to new heights with this unprecedented offer okay i'll see you at the summit and don't forget to use promo code big deal programs have way more failures than success stories because they're teaching the people what to do without teaching them how to become the person who can do it the principle of high achievement is be, do, have, which means don't be, can't do, don't do, can't have. Be a little, do a little. Do whoa, a little, whoa, 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 whoa. Be, hold on, say it again, say it again. Be, do, have. Yes. Don't be, can't do. Don't be, can't, can't be, do, can't, can't do. do. Don't do, can't have. True. Right? Makes sense. Be a little, do a little. Do a little, have a little. Mm-hmm. Be a lot, do a lot. Do a lot, have a lot. So the foundational premise of the whole thing is the being. You're not called a human doing. You're not called a human having. You're called a human being. Why? Because the most important thing about you is who you are, be, be, who you be being, who you are becoming. The whole purpose of life is to be perpetually be becoming more until you die. That's the whole purpose of life, to be becoming more. So someone invests in a, my program, right? right? My responsibility is to get them to become something else. Or not something else, but to become more. It's really, even more than to get them to become more, is to get them to acknowledge who they are and to get them to aspire to be who they can be. Mm. Right? Who we are, that's the value we have right now, but who we can become, that's the potential that we have right now. And the potential is the difference between who we are right now and who we can be. And so our job is to show people their potential and get them to move towards that potential. That's our job. That's your job as a coach. That's your job as a parent. That's a pastor's job. That's a teacher's job. That's a friend's job. It's a husband's job, a wife's job. To help, like all of us, we're supposed to help the people around us grow. As iron sharpeneth iron, so doth the the man sharpen the countenance of his friends. That's my purpose, to help you become more, to help you become sharper. You help me become sharper. We help each other become better. That's that makes purpose. sense because I have a, a like. Well, I have I have a course, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, well, first step is you've got to check out the course. Now, the course is kind of like the step by step stuff sure. that you are supposed to do. Sure. 
And then three weeks later, you ask a question. I'm like, yeah, did, did you check out the course? They're like, no, I didn't watch the course. And then a coach would be inclined to say, hey, watch, watch the course. It's in there. Mm-hmm. But that's just, again, me telling people what to do, mm-hmm. not getting them to become the type of person who would actually go through the course. Yeah, so, and, 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 and the way you really help people become is you like, pe- people love stories, right? Mm-hmm. And they can relate to stories. So you could tell them either a historical or metaphorical story. Historical meaning something that you know has happened with someone or metaphorical, just a story about, it could be a story about a comic book character or something made up off of a television show. It could be off of a fairy tale, whatever, right? Metaphorical. So you tell them a story or metaphorical story that helps them see someone who desired the same transformation they desire and they went through the process of becoming. And then you tell them the story of somebody else who wanted the same thing. And they refused to go through the process. You show them how each of those people ended up. One of those people could even be you. That's why, that's why personal testimonies are so powerful. Because to one, people that you tell your story to, they can see their story in your story. Mm-hmm. Plus, they think they're smarter than you and better than you and faster than you. So if you did it, psh, I know I'm going to do it. Shans did it. Sure. I know I got this. Right? That's how people think. They won't say it, but they'll think it. So the purpose of the story is to get them to see something. Right. The purpose of the story is to get them to feel what the transformation would feel like. Because when we listen to stories or we read stories or we watch stories, we do it vicariously. We put ourselves in the place of the person in the story. That's why when you watch a movie, I'm probably going to mess up movies for y'all, but that's okay. If you're making less than like 50,000 a month, you don't need to be watching TV anyway. So, (laughs) so, so, but I'm probably going to mess up movies for you. So if you watch a movie, you will see that movies have a very intentional and particular structure. So if you're watching a movie, what you'll find out is the main character of the movie, they will put that person, the hero, he's the person in the story that that you're going to want to become like, they will put that person in jeopardy within the first 10% of that movie. So if the movie's 90 minutes, in nine minutes, that person has a problem that shows up in the movie. Hmm. And then the movie is about their external journey and their internal journey, which oftentimes are in conflict with each other as they go through the movie. So you can see yourself in that. So you can see how the transformation they made inside created the transformation outside and you can do the same thing. That's, that's how like all good movies, one of the reasons they're called movies is because not just because they're moving pictures, but because they're designed to move you. Dang, that's crazy because I'm thinking about paid in full. I'm like, yo, money making mint. I mean, Ace, Ace, like he's he's going through turmoil, right? In the beginning, Ace's job, and then there's an internal conflict, right? And something happens, and he's gotta he's gotta do something that seems impossible on the outside, but before that can happen, he's gotta become a person that he's never been on the inside. And that's the same thing that happens with everybody. Where you get that stuff from? How you? <laughs> that's a that's a movie, right? Oh, that's how movies work. And then and then they go through this transformational journey. And since I'm messing up movies for you, like, spoiler alert, like, I'm going to destroy movies for you for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. right? So close to the end of the movie, the external achievement thing that they're going for, it looks like it's not going to happen, period. The end, it looks like the movie's going to end and the hero's going to die and all of the stuff that goes with that. And then all of a sudden, something happens, some miraculous thing happens, and then, and then the music comes, and then... They rise to save the day, and so now you feel hope again. <laughs> That's great. Give me your 
I learned that. He describes every movie that's ever made in three minutes. That's crazy. And I learned that from Michael Haig, who's the guy who created the Heroes Two Journeys. He's a he's a movie consultant. He's a script consultant. He consults with like actors and scriptwriters on their movies to make sure that they actually move people. I've always been the person, and most people won't talk about this, but I've always been the person that had to prove myself. Yeah. And as an adult, I don't know what I was proving, <laughs> right? But I was always proving that I was good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, funny enough. Like I had always had to prove myself as a child. So that level of confidence just really just instilled inside of me because I was always proven to who I don't know that like I could be all of these things. Now that is generational trauma, right? If you really start to unpack the layer, you realize Mm. that I was proving those things because growing up, something had to transpire that made me feel less than for whatever reason. But I like to take a negative and turn it into a positive because that level of confidence made me a master amount of success that I have today. Yeah. So my advice to you is, and I don't know if you've ever felt like the underdog in your life before. Yeah, all the time. Right. Yeah, to this day. <laughs> to this day, right? Yeah. And if you have the, if and when you have those moments, use it as motivation to rise above that insecurity and just take life by the balls. And that's exactly what I do. Even with all the success that I've gotten, I still feel like the underdog and I still feel like I got something to prove, but I'm not proving to anybody else. I'm proving to myself that I could be all the things that I want to be, that I can still be a big dreamer and execute that I can not only have money in a bank, but make an impact that I can like create products and change lives. Like that's my thought process now. So I've turned the negative to a positive and you could do the same thing too. There's never been, you know, there's never been a black founded social media startup that, has achieved the level of success of an Instagram or a Facebook, but we have to do that because there's so much, there's so much benefit. You, you're telling me right now, sitting in this room with all these people, you're telling me if fan base is making 113 billion a year or when it is that we're not going to give money to the hood. We're not I taking- would hope so for sure. And because I know, I know you and what you stand for, but not everybody. It's not like what Bob Johnson, right? A mm-hmm. BT. No, that's not, but he didn't make 115 billion. I was like six billion. But still, whatever he did with the six billion, yeah, he would have done with a hundred and sixteen billion, right? So I mean, it's it, it's it's, it's kind of one of those cases. In a year, it's it's a it's it's a way to it's, a, it's it's multiple things that it does because it just it gives the opportunity to empower us mm-hmm. via our culture. It's just like you know lifting ourselves up. My point is, whatever you're doing at whatever level of success you are mm-hmm. doing it at. If you have more success, you'd be doing it at the same level. Like, for instance, I go to schools now, mm-hmm. but I've been going to schools to talk to kids since I made my first $100,000 with my T-shirt brand when I actually netted like $25,000. Right. But I was still going to school. So the point is, I know, I believe like once you build it, because you have a heart for people, and um, I believe you would come back and help the community, right? And, and it's about disruption. If you're not pissing somebody off when you're building something, then you're not doing it right. Right. And I'm pissing Instagram and Twitter off. Are you? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> they like, yeah. But that's a, I keep saying that's a good thing though. They're worried about me. Yeah. And it's like, I'm just a little guy because if, if, if it's like this, it's like if the culture and the... T- hey, y'all, I ain't gonna lie, man. They sent me this Yuffie lock. Think about being on a couch. Someone rings the doorbell. Your child left their key at school and they 
need you to get off the couch to open the door. Well, you don't have to do it anymore with this Eufy lock. You can open, unlock, see who's at the door all on your phone. It's super easy to install. You can set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It's keyless entry. So it's no more fumbling for your keys when your hands are full coming from the grocery store. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. Listen, you put your fingerprint on there, you don't have, even if you got you got your bags, you put one finger out there, boop, you get to unlock your door that way. No battery anxiety. You don't have to worry about the battery dying. Quick charging, it's incredible. Also, passcode unlocking and remote control with a 2K clear sight camera so you can see who's at the front door. You're in control anywhere from the app. Enhanced night vision, it's absolutely incredible. No monthly fee either. So unlike other brands that charge a monthly fee, you have you have uh, recordings locally, and you don't have to pay for the storage. Customer support is on 10. Listen, Eufy is on standby for you 24-7, so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by our professional customer service team. Listen, you can contact them anytime, telephone, email, or live chat, okay? Listen, you need this Eufy lock. You need to look it up. All you have to do is go to the official website, Eufy, E-U-F-Y.com. I just ordered mine, okay? I love this product. It is incredible. It's a game changer. It makes life so much easier, right? So if you have a video doorbell already or any smart lock, it's, 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 it's time to replace it. It's time to replace it. So listen, search Eufy, E-U-F-Y, video lock. Search Eufy, video lock. That's E U. FY video lock or visit ufiofficial.com forward slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Okay? You can get a complete control of your front door, your life, back door. Incredible. Okay? So search Ufy, E U F Y video lock or visit ufiofficial.com forward slash video lock. Technology are under one roof. Where do we exploit? Hmm. Where do we exploit? Where do they, where, where, you know, all the culture that black, all the, all the, the, the revenue that black culture brings into Facebook and brings into TikTok on the, on the back end of that, where's that money going? To shareholders, squad. shareholders or private, private owned investors mm-hmm. that are riding around in yachts and saying, you know, cool. All right. And again, I, I would ask anybody to go to Instagram off the $115 billion, you know, they said and say, Hey, put, Put like, you know, why don't you put like five billion a year in the hood? And they're like, no, but keep doing those dances. <laughs> keep making them skits though. Keep making we need them skits though. Right. And what what makes fan base different? So fan base is a democratized social network. It's separated because one, um, and I said this before, Instagram was really, really fun from like 2010 to 2014. Mm-hmm. And Instagram is the only social media platform that I knew what it was going to do the moment that I used it. I was one of the first million users on Instagram. I said, oh, this is about to kill. Oh, this is about to kill the website. Mm. This is going to kill the blog. Why did you Why did you feel that? Because I don't have to go to ESPN. I don't have to go to Worldstar. Worldstar's here. ESPN's here. My friends are here. Everything is here in a feed. It's convenience. Mm-hmm. It's mobile. It's in my hands. I have to sit it, I, it's just right there. Yeah. So it just made everything. It's a container, right? Rather than rather than a standalone store, which websites are websites are a standalone store. Yeah, Instagram was a mall. 
Like mm. everything's in there. Gotcha. And so you have, you stumble upon other content, other people. And I was like, this is incredible. Yeah. And so community at the core is really what the success of, of Instagram is. But again, it has like that, that, that timeline of what's going to make people valuable and, and, and relevant. And so, um, Instagram was just, just something that I, I, I got, but you could go viral on Instagram and get like 2 million users in yeah. a day. You know, you might be on world star, like some fine on teachers. Working out, right. And then yeah. advertising came into play and advertising changed everything. It turned everybody on the platform into a competitor against the platform. So everyone that is on social media right now is in competition or the platform is in competition with you. And I proved that mm. a million times. It's based off visibility. It's ads, ad revenue, right? Expl explain that. Okay. So let's take the word, let's take the word follower and throw that out the window. Mm. All right. Now let's take someone like Kim Kardashian that has 300 million followers, but let's turn that to viewers. Okay. Use the word viewer now. How many people watch the Super Bowl this year? I don't know. A lot. 118 million. 118 million. How much did they charge for a 30 second spot? Drillions. $7 million. Mm. So if Kim Kardashian could post a piece of content and instantly reach 320 million people, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not like the Super Bowl's on one day a year for four hours, she could charge $21 million every time she posted a piece of content. And the brands would come directly to her and never spend a dime with Facebook and Instagram to ever run an ad. Like here, Kim, here's $21 million. Put that shit on your page. 300 million people about to see it. <laughs> Goodness gracious. You know what I'm saying? Like that's what they would do. So the moment that advertising came into play, platforms started to suppress your content. Mm -hmm. And I proved that. I tell people, go, go, look at, go look at Kim Kardashian's page right now and look at her following versus her reels, right? Her reels views or whatever. And it's, mm -hmm. it's about maybe 5%. At one point, it was like 1.8% because they have to limit your visibility so they can run advertising. My mom, so I remember telling my mom, like, I want to expand into sweatsuits and at the time, American Apparel was doing wholesale mm -hmm. sweatsuits. And I'm like, this will be my first time doing a sweatsuit because I really had T-shirts. I had a fashion mm -hmm. show with T-shirts. All T-shirts. <laughs> All T-shirts. It, like, it was like we were just showing you how to style T-shirts with just suits and skirts and different items. How many T-shirt designs did you have? <laughs> Two. <laughs> Yo, you spent $25,000 on a fashion show with two designs, all T-shirts, just worn differently. But guess what? It's because my fashion shows is not about the fashion. It wasn't about the fashion. It Talk was about the experience. Talk to me about this experience. It was about, so like every time I put on a show, I, I love entertainment. Like I'm all about like just making people feel good. So from my first fashion show, like I made sure we had a poet. Like I like the poet to like make you feel. We have a, a dancer or we have a performance. Like, so we had a ballerina performing. We had, um, it was three runways too. So it wasn't even just one. It was three runways. So we picked the songs and it's just like a vibe. Like it was a positive vibe that we did in the city. And the show oh. would probably be like a three hour type of thing. Wow. Yeah. And the, like the city comes out for the fashion show. This is crazy. Yeah. And Two I had t-shirts. <laughs> All t-shirts. Yes. But it's the experience. That's a perfect example, man, of, of, it's not about the thing that you have. It's about what you do with it. Yes. Right. Your vision for that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. to like I'm a, I'm just gonna go with these t-shirts and yeah. we're gonna run it. So you ain't had no sweatsuits, no hoodies, no jackets. 
No, I just had t-shirts. We would put the t-shirts on with a suit. Like, it looked really cute with a suit. <laughs> we had it on with so much. So I had a stylist, but she just styled the same t-shirts with different items. And the fact that you said that, you pointed it out, I didn't think it was weird until you just pointed it That's out. That's strange. Like, I'm like, damn, I did do a whole fashion show with t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, we had different oh, colorways, though. We had, like, so many different colorways. I had so many different color options yeah you know in hindsight it's like super genius because i would imagine all i'm saying milano right so yeah and then they had the five cities one the one that got the five cities on it too so we had <laughs> different ones <laughs> you gotta pull a video up when you do this when you edit this you gotta pull the, the fashion show video up on youtube oh my gosh all right so five days after your fashion show um was it it was profitable yeah it was profitable i mean i'm talking about like before before the fashion show. The business was profitable? Was the business profitable? Because, well, I don't know if you really got into the numbers because you knew I'll sell. If I run out of money, I just get some more. It was profitable. So, like, I know that. So, like, the money that I was getting was more so for me to live, you know? Like, mm -hmm. for me to just have, like, my lifestyle. Yeah. Um, And then, like, he'll buy me stuff if I need it. But it was profitable because... I had an accountant back then, too. So, like, the first year we did it, it was $14,000. 14000 first year. Yeah. And then, did I go in? Oh, yes, man. absolutely. What was the second year? <laughs> second year, I think, I'm not sure if it was, yeah, the second year was, like, one-something. It was, like, probably 165 mm. And then the third year was three-something. And what, what what year was that? No, 2012. Actually, no, 12. 2012 it wasn't. 2013 it was 14000 14000 2014 it was, I got to look. They sent me the whole breakdown. Right. I know 2016, we hit a million. 2016, you hit a million. The first million. Yes. In that one year, 2016. Mm -hmm. So 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. So in seven years, 70 million? I, I used to be a trash man. Right? I made $6.25 like an hour. Like back in the truck? Like, like or you were the no, driver. I, drove, I was the driver. driver. I was a shuttle driver. I would drive the truck to the dump. After they went and filled them up, I would drive them to the dump, empty them, come back, get another truck, drive it to the dump, dump it. I'd do that four times a day and I was done. Mm, right? It's a terrible job. It wasn't. No, I mean, in terms of like the smell? The smell was terrible. The fact that you had to get up at 2.30 in the morning, that wasn't fun. Right? But the fact that you got off by 12.30 in the afternoon, that was okay. True. I'd come home and take a nap. And a shower first. Oh, and a shower. And, and then I'd get ready to go out and sell life insurance at night. Really? Oh, yeah. So trash man during the day. Life insurance, life insurance investments, mutual funds and stuff at night. Were you married at this time? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Tell me about your, like, tell me about that lifestyle, the conflict. Because you were married. You had kids married. at this point. One. At that point. One kid. Mm -hmm. No lifestyle at all. Oh, I no mean, lifestyle. We were making, if we made $300 a week from the job, that was a good job. And I wasn't making sales yet from the insurance. I was just doing the presentations. Yeah. And what makes somebody in that position believe that they can be successful or... Well, first of all, it's not the position that makes a person believe they can be successful. It's the condition of the... It's like the condition of being a human that makes you... be Like God built you with potential. He built you with the ability to believe in your potential. And then you have the cultural hypnotic societal mechanism that programs that belief in your potential out of you. Your belief in your potential is natural. Your lack of belief in your potential is unnatural. That has to be taught. Hmm... Mm. You're, I guess as a child, you have a certain belief that you can walk or that... that you, what did you want to be? I'm going to be a fireman. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be an airline pilot. And I'm going to be G.I. Joe. You can be all this stuff. 
I did have a life-size poster of Allen Iverson because I was going to go right. to the NBA. Exactly. But you know what happens? All of the rational adults rationalized, which means they told themselves and you rationalized. They rationalized you out of it. Mm. They, well, there are 75 million people a year want to go to the NBA and only three of them make it. What makes you think you're going to be one of those ones? Wait, what? Did you talk to my dad? You talk to my, <laughs> <laughs> you talk to my dad? <laughs> tell you to t- okay. That makes sense. Yeah. You have, you, you have to learn that you can't. You believe that you can. It's natural to believe that you can. You have to learn that you can't. And fortunately, some of us like have people telling us that we can, but most of us have most of the people who we look up to in our lives, our teachers, our parents, our grandparents, aunts and uncles, tell us that we can't because of two things. One, they're protecting us, they think, from getting hurt because they don't want us to feel the pain they felt when they attempted and didn't do it. Which is noble. It's, it's understandable. It's understandable. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and the other reason is if we actually do it and they didn't, that's an indictment. By the way, that's one of the reasons your peers don't want you to succeed because it's an indictment. Well, if you do better, now I got to go do better or my wife ain't going to understand why is he doing better and I ain't doing better. Wow. Wow. So that, I guess, dang, you know, I always, I always understood the, the principle of uh, the environment, right? right? Your environment mm-hmm. is going to change you before you change it, right? 100. But it's because of what they're getting you to become, I'm gathering. Exactly. Here's what's really interesting. Most people have no idea who they are. You know why? Why? Because they get their identity from society. And they think they are who society tells them they are. So if you don't look like them, in fact, you could like scientifically from Fibonacci sequence, like perspective actually look way better than them. But because they feel intimidated by the fact that you look way better than them, they will tell you that you look worse than them. Mm. And so what Mm. happens is we buy into the lie of what society tells us because society is to, society, most of society refuses to embrace their own greatness. So when you step into your greatness, they feel intimidated. So they try to intimidate you out of your greatness. Mm. And so what you got to do is you just got to, you got to, like, I believe the best way to understand who you are is to know who you are based on whose you are. I remember when I was in elementary school and I remember when I learned in school, I was probably in the third or fourth grade. And because we come home from school, my mom would say, so what'd you learn in school today, baby? Well, today I learned that we're a higher form of animal. My mom said, don't you ever say that again. It's like, okay. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're not an animal. You're made in the image of God. I didn't know why she was so bent out of shape, but she was like lit. Don't you ever say that again? My child ain't no animal. And I said, okay, yes, ma'am. And I like to be so transparent now because, well, I've always been transparent, but like, especially podcasts, because I don't ever want to sit here and be the person like, I'm everything is sweet. Every, that's a lie, right? Mm-hmm. We go through ebbs and flows. We got speed bumps. I'm the entrepreneur. Some, yesterday I cried. Mm. Right, because I'm like I'm tired today. Like today, just don't feel good today. About what though? What was? Is it just I'm some sort of emotional thing overtakes me, or was there a specific thing that you're crying about and you couldn't figure it out, or what was it? Sometimes it's just like you don't know what what you're crying about. I'm happy. Yeah, 
But specifically, my assistance was getting on my nerves. If you want to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you know I'm a woman, so like yeah. my my I just had a baby four months ago, mm. right? So hormonally, I'm all over the place sometimes. Mm. But I'm also a very emotional CEO because I did not create my business to make money. Yeah, I created it because it was a passion project for me. So I'm passionate about it. So when things, you know, what gets me emotional when somebody wrote an article about slutty vegan yesterday and this was the first time i think that's probably what the root of the problem was it was the first time that somebody wrote an article about slutty vegan where we didn't get rave reviews Mm. so that was shocking to me it was a student article right like not a big reach whatever i got over it but it triggered me differently because everybody always loves the brand right so when somebody didn't love the brand it made me pay attention like wait what's wrong right you understand what i'm saying i I, want to say something too real quick um i can imagine people want the love but when people don't love what people normally love they take it hard but if you've never been loved a little bit of love you you feel it more but the hate it's like oh i've been hated all my life yeah so so the negative comments hurt you yes it did <laughs> and i looked up and i was crawling like pinky get it together what you about? <laughs> but i had to realize what you asked me in the beginning how do i feel i'm in transition and it's a great transition but guess what happens with transition new levels new devils mm-hmm. right as you elevate, there are going to be elements in that elevation that are going to look unfamiliar. I'm used to everybody loving Pinky. I'm used to everybody loving my brand. The level of elevation that I'm going to in that frequency, everybody ain't going to love you. Mm. Every my, Everybody won't appreciate what you do for the community. Everybody won't say, oh, she's dope. She, everybody won't say that. And I'm getting to a place where I'm learning how to embrace all of it and not pay attention to the things that I don't need to pay attention to because it's going to get me off of my focus. And Mm. the focus of the exercise here is to be clear so that I can continue on this journey and break these generational patterns that have been created for me when I was a kid. So then this is how they trick you. So then they say, well, to get higher in the algorithm, post more content. But by posting more content, all that does is give them more content to run ads in between. So you're feeding, you're giving them space to run more ads to make more money. And they're telling you, do that because it'll make the algorithm and you'll get higher. And But do they boot the algorithm so that we have that result of posting more? Because you post more if you get more engagement, right? So are they shooting? No. They just, they just, they just nullified all that yesterday. They just proved all that with some BS. Mm. They said, oh, we're starting MetaVerified. Did you hear about that? Yeah. Yeah, MetaVerified. You can buy your blue check now, but it also comes with higher visibility, higher ranking in search. Yes. Yes. That means your content was never reaching nobody. They was lying to you the whole time. Right. Okay. I see. You have to listen I to see. what you have to listen to what they're not saying as opposed to what they're saying. Yeah. They're telling you, like, oh yeah, reach more people and get higher visibility. Fam, if I have 200 million people that want to see me and you're only showing me to 7 million people, you're playing with my money. You're playing with my reach. You're playing with my audience. I have a product to sell. I have a message to get out. You're playing with them. Why am I here? So when you buy the verification, and are they going to let everyone be verified? Anybody that pays $11.99 a month, which again is a subscription, and we'll get to subscriptions in a minute. A hundred percent. But I wonder if the paid verification will look different somehow than the celebrity verification. So I'll say this, probably so. 
And if so, it's because of fan base. So I'm just say this. When I built fan base, I said, you know what we need? I told Ramiro, I said, for people that work at fan base or really early investors, mm. we need a gold verification badge. So there's the blue, yeah. but then we got the gold. Right. Like high executives, high level investors, very important people, right? As soon as Elon took over Twitter, if you go to Twitter right now, all the Twitter accounts have gold verification checks now. And all they're going to do is get everybody, what they're going to do is they're going to let everybody use Meta Verified and they're going to switch that check. They're going to switch the color and add another level. Really? Go Hold on. Twitter. On Twitter, there's gold verification. Go to Twitter right now. Just go to Twitter and then start and, and type in the search and start Twitter. And all the, all the official Twitter accounts will have gold verification badges. Well, the only person I really follow, I do follow Elon. So if you want no, to he, won't, he, he doesn't have one. And I only, I only follow a few people because it started getting too crazy. And I got kids. And if you see, if you go on Twitter, if somebody likes something like I'm talking about, it's porn on that joint. It's inundated with porn. I don't know how it stays on the App Store. Yeah, that. Yeah, I only follow six people, bro. The people that I know ain't looking yeah. at that. No, but just take a look at this. Look at these accounts. So see Twitter. Guy has a gold check. Oh, right. Gold check. Right. Michael Jackson, blue check. Yeah. But I mean, for official accounts, right? Now, let me show you. So on fan base. Michael Jackson, blue. You got it. So on fan base, when you search for users, I've always had that. Mm. I've had this since like 2018, 2019. And that's for people that were on early. Yeah. Or 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 people that work for the company. So you know, like, oh, this is an employee, like a high-level executive of fan base. So Rama, who's my CTO. The official fan base page, Dre works for fan base. So you'll know, okay, those are those are people like, okay, I know who that is. Gotcha. All right, so, t- dang, that's crazy. 200, th- oh, th- this is my question before I I find out what you did with the 200,000. What makes fan base difference, different in terms of social responsibility? Because you were saying they make all this money mm-hmm. and they don't bring it back to the hood. What, is, what makes fan base different? Because we don't run ads. So it's not based on advertising. At all? Based on rep share. No, it's a rep share model. Meaning you can have followers and subscribers on the exact same page, which is why when, when, when Instagram started doing subscriptions, we knew that was a big sign because remember, I told you Apple would not let me build what I wanted to build at first. Mm-hmm. Me and Ramiro went, and this is a great, this, is, this, is, this shows you how great a CTO Ramiro is. We said, okay, I spent all this money. And Apple says, I said, we want to build an app where people can subscribe to people, but like use like the fingerprint or the face scan and then just charge. And they were like, no, you can't do that. And we were like, why? And they said, well, we have this thing called a subscription profile. It means every time you subscribe to a product like Spotify or Tidal, on the back end, we have this thing, a profile for you. They said, we're not going to let you build an app that you could have a user subscribe to 100 million, I mean, 100 people, and then you want it with 100 million users, and we got to keep up with billions of subscription profiles. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we're screwed. I said, I spent all this money to do this. We ain't going to be able to do it. And me was like, no. He goes, listen to what they're saying. He goes, that means you're about to do something that hasn't been done before. Mm. He says, follow their rules. So we're not going to break them, but we're going to bend them. So the initial prototype of fan base was you could subscribe to one person. That's a profile. You could subscribe to three people. That's a profile. Or you could subscribe to five people. That's a profile. And they said, okay, you can do that. And we built that. Mm-hmm. And then we heard Instagram was doing subscriptions and we hit Apple and it was like, wait a minute. And they were like, oh yeah, 
you should reach out to subscriptions. We've had a change of heart of the way we view subscriptions. Oh, like, wow. Like, oh, word, wow. Oh, word. Word. <laughs> cool. But we did it. So we, we transitioned. And, and so now you can subscribe to as many people as you want. Like they created SKUs. Like they changed the model of subscriptions. Mm. It lets you create SKUs with price points. And you can have a, as many, you know, a certain number of price points and subscribe to as, you know, as many people as you want to. So I was like, oh, we did that. We were the first app to do it. So they're following you. They have to, though. But I'm not worried because they're... they're there's, there's a, it's a big world out here, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? There's, and, and again, them kids are not coming to Instagram. Yeah. I'll be on my fan base too, man. I get, I get a, a notification from you every day. Cause you be like, there'd be a particular topic. Yeah. Like, all right, Grant Cardone says this, let's talk about it. I'm like, okay, I'll see what's going on. Right a, here. So, so my, my goal for fan base is like subscription is going to change the world. Right. right. It's going to really change the way because it's so much money that people are making because what social media has built um, their legacy off of is like fame and clout and notoriety. 100%. That leads to revenue. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like give an exhaustive amount of content, go viral, and then maybe become famous from that. Mm -hmm. And so much of my experience in the music industry has prepared me for tech. Cause nothing's more grimier than the music business. So once I got into <laughs> tech, I was like, oh, this is easy. This yeah. is, is going to be easy. But it reminded me of the mixtape game. It's like, oh, okay, so social media is like mixtapes. You just throw out mixtapes after mixtape and then the one song they hit and you get what famous and you might become a star. Yeah. That's where social media is right now. And so I was like, okay, but that is a cultural black culture behavior as opposed to white culture behavior. What's white, the white, culture? white community puts a value on something the moment that they create it and they charge you for it. They do. There's never, I, I, you don't see no country mixtapes, no pop mixtapes, <laughs> no EDM mixtapes. Hold, hold on, Garth ain't make no, Garth Brooks ain't make no, no mixtapes. And then on top of that, when you get to, when you look at platforms like Patreon, like when I mm -hmm. check them out, the majority of the creators on there are white that make the most money. And they, they started, they might've started in 2016, but they're making $198,000 a month off 20,000 people. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So I tell, I tell people, do you want a million followers or do you want a million dollars? Cause I know people with 13 million followers on TikTok that are broke. Yeah, hundred percent. All it takes is 5,000 people paying you $2.50 a month, right? That gives you 12,500 a month, $150,000 a year. 50,000 people is 50,000 people is $125,000 a month, $1.5 million a year. So imagine that the average American salary is $47,000 a year. All you need is 5,000 people paying you $2.50 a month. You're making 150 grand a year, more than 97% of Americans. That's the future. And mm. nothing's going to stop that now. Now that we're all connected through mobile devices, there's seven and a half billion people on the planet with a smartphone, only 222 million people on Netflix, only 616, I mean, 200, yeah, 616 million people on music streaming services, but seven and a half billion people being able to subscribe to another seven and a half billion people is going to obliterate the revenue that any of those platforms can make combined. If you like the video that you just watched, click this one. You're going to like this one, maybe even more. Click it right now.